Hello, everybody, and welcome to the one-year anniversary episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that managed to last 52 weeks without ruining magic forever. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our 52nd show. Uh, it's one year for those of you that are counting. <laughs> uh, it's been a lot of fun. Glad to be here. Keep doing it. Another strong year. I'm sure there's plenty of things coming up for us in the in the future here. So, uh, you know, we did our big our big end of year show uh, the week of Christmas this past year. It was Christmas, right, James? Yep, exactly. Yeah, that week. Okay, so I think we're probably going to stick to those being our <clears throat> our events, but. Uh, Okay, well, our show is sponsored still by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Yeah, so uh, I did just wanted to give a, a big shout out to our supporters, especially our pro trader members and all of the other people that have messaged us along the way and thanked us for our contributions to their MTG finance activities for helping to uh, make magic a little easier to afford or to help them uh, make a little extra cash on the side. Um, you know, we're happy to help anytime. So do feel free to reach out to us, um, either through the podcast, uh, mtgprice.com or uh, our Twitter accounts. Uh, so what's on the agenda this week, Travis? Well, this week we have a show in three parts. Uh, first, we are going to look at our top movers. Those are the cards that have moved the most in price this week and uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in Magic and why. Segment two is our cards to watch. This is the segment that after 52 episodes, I still have not found a uh, comfortable, easy way to describe. <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk about talk about cards that James and I believe have financial upside. Maybe that's the way I'm supposed to say it. I trip over this every week. Pieces uh, of cardboard that you could spend your monies on. Yeah. Is that smooth? Yeah, that's that. Uh, that's Less smooth? Something. It's <laughs> vaguely autistic, I think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> now now uh, we're in trouble. <laughs> Uh, and segment three is our metagame week in review. Uh, we are going to look at Star City this weekend, both Columbus. Uh, well, it is just Columbus, but both uh, we have Standard and Modern this weekend. Standard, obviously, the big story with Aether Revolt's reveal uh, or, or first weekend re- legal, I should say. Um, but, you know, there's some modern and stuff going on, too. So those three segments for us next week. Uh, so why don't we jump in on, uh, on segment one? Um, I'll get us started here. Uh, this card... I am uh, reasonably familiar with. Uh, it's Curtain's Call from Commander 2016. Started out the week at it, it's saying two dollars, um, and it jumped up to four. I mean, over the last ten days uh, to, to two weeks, this card went from like forty cents to about four dollars. Um, Jason Alt has been talking up this card quite a bit. Um, whether on Brainstorm Brewery, he showed up on Cartel Aristocrats and talked about. I think, uh, and basically anywhere that he has a platform. So. I think a lot of the card movement has been in reaction to him talking about it because he's generally pretty well respected as far as uh, EDH finance goes. But I don't, at the same time, I don't think that this is uh, fake. I, I, you know, this is a very real price. It just probably got there a little earlier than we may have expected. Um, but it's a strong card. It's unlikely to be reprinted anytime in the near future. Uh, you know, it's going to be popular in nearly every black deck. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think we're looking at a $10 card here, but I think, you know, hanging out in the 350 to, to 550 $6 range for, for a while is pretty realistic. Yeah, I think the, the settling point uh, in the next several months will be somewhere in the 5 to $6 range. Um, it's not a card that you, it's not like a must-have flashy centerpiece card for a deck. It's a utility card. Um, it kills two creatures. It t- typically kills them very cheaply. That's a, often a valuable effect in EDH, but it's not the same as, you know, a must-run uh, game-winning card like Expropriate, which, you know, has a different demand profile. Um, so 
the the fact that we've got four color commanders makes cards that uh, may have had a lesser demand profile potentially can experience a, a broader demand profile because more decks are being run as four color entities and therefore um, the best cards in each color have a, a greater chance of, of uh, popping um, as time goes on. So that's just something for people to keep in mind. Um, I bought a bunch of these when Jason was first talking about it at 75 cents. Happy to see the motion so far. I'm just keeping them in in the spec box for another three to six months to see where this lands because, you know, this was just printed not so uh, far in the past. So we're not going to see it again anytime soon. Um, and you should have the better part of a, a year to figure out your exit point or just trade them out locally. Right, right. The I think that's worth pointing out is this card came out, uh, you know, two months ago. Right. Like it's it's so new on the EDH time scale that there's really no rush to sell these at all. Um, you're going to want to let a lot of those copies drain out of the market over the next few months before you get eager to, to sell your copies. Yeah, exactly. All What's right. next for us? Uh, so next on the list this week, we have Esper Charm out of Alara, which is you know dear to my heart now since my daughter is named after the block, sort of. Um, the starting price for that card was $2. It's up to about $4.25. That's a $2.25 gain or about 112%. This is exactly the sweet spot we talked about last week where it doesn't make you any money. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, somebody cares, I guess, about us for charm, but nobody cares enough to make you any profit. But again, the, as we've said in the past, it, when a card moves from a dollar to two dollars to four to five dollars, uh, it's tough to get in on out of play sets um, after your time spent um, arranging shipping and selling and so forth, um, and really have it be worth your while unless you're moving a, a vast quantity. But it's a great card um, to be pulling out of bulk because this is an uncommon from that block, and the block is getting close to ten years old now. Um, and, uh, it's also the kind of card that you can trade out locally if you see demand start to spike. I'm, I'm assuming this is on the back of people, um, prophesizing that Esper Control will have new life in Modern on the back of Fatal Push being, uh, such an excellent removal spell on one. That would, that would make sense, I guess. Uh, I'm not clear where else we would see Esper Charm come from, really, so seems yeah. seems realistic. I mean one of the, one of the things that I think is uh tangential to this is that as as the uh the meta game for modern shifts, I think there's a very real chance that Tarmogoyf becomes uh significantly uh uh less valuable. Um I'm not comfortable holding Tarmogoyfs over $100 right now. Uh I think that uh, the card will always be in demand. It's always going to be one of the better creatures in the format. But in a format where you now have uh, Lightning Bolt that can sometimes kill it and Path and uh, Fatal Push on one that can definitely kill it, um, it, it's just not going to be the kind of powerhouse it once was. And there's going to be a lot of decks that uh, in Abzan and Jund colors that made... I mean, I, I think that Jund is still probably going to run it. It fits in with their game plan well. But in uh, Abzan specifically, it looks like there is a new game plan afoot that uh, revolves around things like Renegade Rallier, uh, the new card out of Ether Revolt um, that likes to pop two casting cost permanents back into play um, every time you, you know, something leaves play on your side of the board, which could be a fetch land, it could be off a of flicker wisp, who knows. And I think there's going to be a lot of different strategies that evolve, and if some of those strategies don't really care much about having a 4 or 5 beater on turn 3, um, then and, and the fact that you don't have Gitaxian Probe left, so certain decks can't make the, the goif any bigger, not that that was really an interaction that was common. Um, but there's a number of factors in play, is all I'm saying, that I think brings into question whether Tarmogoyf should still be 100 bucks. Yeah, and I, you know, this may be the year that if they put it in again, that they really, uh, they really crack that nut. If it's in Modern Masters three, well, I mean, um, th that one uh, threat I think is non-existent because I was running some math the other day, um, and I think it's much more likely that we see um, Liliana and Snap, and because those two make up such a huge portion of the EV, um, I don't think you can have Tarmogoyf and Liliana and have anything else that matters in the Mythic slots. So that means that you. Um, are probably going to get uh, maybe Mox Opal again. That That's a big chunk of the, the value. Cavern of Souls would be a big chunk of the value. And there's a whole bunch of $10, $20, $30 rares that need to get reprinted before we get more Tarmogoyfs, um, which seems to have ample supply in the market and has been relatively stable since its second printing. Um, 
you know, been hovering around 100, 120, you know, down a little bit, some selling for about, you know, 85 or 90 on eBay here and there. Um, but overall, been kind of sitting in a sweet spot that I don't think they're going to need to, they will, I don't think it's likely that they will have felt the need six to 12 months ago when they were laying the set out um, to address that card in particular. I, I mean, I do agree that Tarmogoyf is far from a lock uh, in Modern Masters 3. You know, that was, you know, in coming into Modern Masters 2, we kind of were like, okay, well, this is definitely in. But for 3 is finally the time where it's like, well, this is now we're at the point where there's definitely consideration, especially with Lillian and Samcaster coming in. So I, I agree with you there. Um, I, if, you know, assuming Modern Masters lasts, for X number of years, it will return. Um, but, you know, letting it live as a banner modern card is also completely acceptable. So so I, I, I guess this is just me repeating everything you've said. I agree. We probably won't see Tarmogoyf this year. So, so here's the inevitable counter that's going to come from the modern spikes that say, I don't know what I'm talking about, um, is that uh, according to MGG Goldfish, for instance, uh, Tarmogoyf is still the most played creature in the format, uh, at least on Magic Online, with like a 22% dominance rating and 22% of decks are playing it. And when they play it, they run four. So <laughs> uh, that's the top spot. Um, and a lot of things have to actually play out on camera and in top eights to uh, prove me right. And the burden of proof is on me, um, not on Tarmogoyf. Uh, and it has resisted, um, you know, dropping down to the 40 or $50 level that I think is possible for quite some time. And if it's not reprinted in Modern Masters, uh, then it's possible we see a hype spike. People, you know, MTG finance folk jumping on the card thinking they can push it back up towards 150 Yeah, that's always a possibility. You know, it's, you can say something for, I guess, the value of a name, essentially, that, you know, it's called Tarmogoyf. Everyone knows that Tarmogoyf is an expensive card and they may print a bunch of copies and drags the price down, but you wait long enough and Tarmogoyf is still going to be Tarmogoyf. Uh, I mean, a, a big part of its presence on Magic Online is that there's a lot of entrenched Abzan and Jund players that make up like 15% of the meta and they all run four ofs. Um, but decks like Affinity, Tron, Bantel Drazi, uh, Titan Shift, Blue White Control, Titan, Death Shadow, uh, sorry, Titan, like Grixis Delver, Breach, Ad Nauseam, none of them are running Tarmogoyf. Death Shadow does, um, and that's part of what's been propping it up, is that Death Shadow did really well this year. But if Death Shadow is is going to fade, and it's definitely at a much low, it's down to almost 3% of the online meta um, since the banning of Gataxian Probe, then that pulls some of the pressure off Tarmogoyf as well. For sure, for sure. Uh, and you know, you can see metagame shifts. You know, we saw cards that a card like Fatal Push might make Tarmogoyf less relevant today, but, uh, you know, who knows what they're going to print next year that's suddenly going to make it considerably better. So, all right, we have beaten that to death. <laughs> yeah, my little 10-minute sidebar on why Tarmogoyf, which is the top creature in the format, is not the top creature in the format. Yeah, all right, so what what's the next card for us? All right, so Vertuous Gear Hulk made a big push. Uh, from $8 to 17 this week. This was a pick earlier on the show in the fall where we uh, correctly identified alongside many other people that the power level on this thing was just uh, off the chains and would eventually find a home in standard, um, if not modern and or frontier, etc. Um, so it's up 112% or so. Green-black builds that were featuring uh, four of copies were doing very well uh, through the weekend. Um, at the Star City Games Open that kicked off the standard season. And uh, I expect to see Gear Hulk in, in various brews um, for the remainder of its. I mean, it's got a year and a half left. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Plenty of time for Gear Hulk to uh, justify a price tag uh, or hold a price tag over $20 and make, make people that got in under 10 some money. Yeah. This was, you know, I was admittedly underwhelmed by this when we first saw it. Um, but it has proven it's worth time and time again. Uh, and especially with how good the black green deck did this past weekend, you know, that's, that's not necessarily going, that's not going to be consistent, but it's still going to be a powerful card that will be available and a powerful deck that will be available, I think, uh, over the coming months. So this is definitely a contender and it's clear that it's torrential and verdurous that are sort of, um, leading the charge. Of course, I do like the fact that this sort of really takes the pressure off the other ones and opens the door to those being um, really great pickups. So it will be 
really worth paying attention to uh what did we say the next set is called uh amoncat 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 to see what kind of pops up there because there could be something that really pushes like a uh, noxious gear hulk or a combustible gear hulk's tough but like cataclysmic gear hulk is very powerful too so um sets i think that what this does is it sets up those cards for being great pickups that you can score at two dollars that suddenly jump to 15 when people realize it's relevant in the new standard format not this one but the next one yeah i mean what what was coming into play here is we had in the top four of the star city games tournament um where all the Sahili Rai decks finished in the bottom half of the top eight, which was a good sign. Um, we had black-green Delirium, two green-black aggro builds that were significantly different than Delirium build, and green-white tokens. And between those four decks, they ran uh, eight, 13 copies out of a possible 16 um, of Verdurus Gearhulk. So that's three top decks that have proven they can beat uh, Sahili Rai combo. Um, and they were all running Gearhulk. So there you go. Dang, 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 dang. Okay, so next up, uh, it's a good one. I, good that I'm reading this card, so it doesn't feel quite <clears throat> as so, congrat- <laughs> so congratulatory. Is expropri- expro- blah, blah, blah. Expropriate from Conspiracy 2. Started the week at like $7, $8. It's up to about $15, $16, $17 right now for over a double up. Um you know, James called this two ep- two weeks ago, two episodes ago, as a pickup right around $7. I don't think he expected it to pop this fast, but there was some additional attention paid to it by the sort of finance hive mind in the last couple of weeks, um, and people started snagging up cheap copies. I think part of it would be players who saw the card, knew they wanted it, saw people like us talking about it, and went, oh, I should grab my copy now before this moves Uh finally listened so yeah expropriates move pretty big um you know this might dwindle down a little bit but i don't see this getting much lower than like 13 ish maybe um very powerful card not going to show up again ends games of of edh so uh good job the, to james and and uh wish i'd bought one <laughs> yeah i i can't even really take credit for this this is another jason alt mentioned it somewhere uh pick as with many of the edh cards that i get onto uh uh the and here's my take on this. I can already see that a lot of the people that are selling it in the 14 to $15 range on TCG have uh, several play sets, which suggests that they bought in early and are now reaping the rewards. That's a solid model you want to keep flipping when you're in the retail business. But if you're a, a longer-term speculator like I am, um, what I'm really seeing here is that these guys are going to bleed dry again, um, and the card's going to pop again. Um, because it's a, a, a very flashy, powerful finisher in EDH. Um, it's getting talked about, it's getting pressed, the inventory is low, Conspiracy 2 boxes are starting to rise in price, um, not too much of that product is being opened on a week-to-week basis, um, most retail vendors have other priorities, um, they're not going to start cracking cases just to chase down a couple of cards like Leovold and Expropriate, even though the EV on those boxes is looking relatively attractive. Um, so I think there's there's room to just let this breathe. Um, it's not going to get reprinted anytime soon, probably not, at least not in the, in the next year. Um, because, you know, these guys work six to 12 months in advance minimum, and this just came out last summer. So you've probably got a year to two years, um, to let this thing float upward and could end up easily in the 20 to $30 range. That's, uh, yeah, I don't think that's an unfair, I guess it's not an unfair position at all. I I was kind of thinking about a worst case scenario, but the upside is certainly there. Yeah, I mean, in, in these cases, it's always about looking at your opportunity cost, like we were talking about last week. So if you've got a hot spec that you know you can double up on and you can extract your you know, your money from your $6 expropriates uh, and turn it into $14 minus fees, and then you're going to flip that into something else and roll with that and do it again and again, and you can keep that chain running, then you should. Um, but if you're fresh out of ideas or you're fresh out of money, um, then feel free to sit on your specs and let them mature when when the conditions seem right. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Um, okay. So what's, uh, what's next for us? So Metalwork Colossus, another one of our picks from uh, earlier on uh, this season, um, moved from $1.25 to $3. I think I called it to get to 4 or 5 or maybe you did. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and check. Um, but, you know, the metal, those picks were pretty straightforward. I mean, the deck was present. Um, it was doing well, but not quite well enough to overcome the whole Emrakul Marvel thing that was going on in Standard. Um, and, you know, doing all the work, putting in all the effort to get the Colossus in play and then having it Reflector Maged wasn't any good either. Um, it couldn't block a Smuggler's Copter. Uh, there, was, there was a number of reasons that the deck was kind of relegated to Tier 1.5 or Tier 2. 
But when we made the call, um, it was predicated on the fact that Ether Revolt was on the way, more artifacts were coming, and the deck would be renewed. And, and sure enough, it, it, it got some significant early camera time at SCG, didn't really finish uh, very well in the end. Um, so it remains to be seen whether uh, a better version of that, uh, that deck can be pulled together and tuned in time for the Pro Tour. Um, definitely something to keep your eye on because I suspect this card is going to float back down towards the 2 to 250 range, but it could still potentially be a pickup if uh, it does really well in the Pro Tour uh, and at which point it could spike in the 5 to $8 range on Pro Tour hype. Yeah, this card is really funny because I saw a spike. I, I was looking through the numbers for the show notes and I'm looking at it, I'm like, I know this card moved, but I don't have the foggiest idea why. And I had to ask my buddies and they're like, yeah, it uh, was on camera at the start of, um, of SCG Columbus, but it just completely fizzled out after that. So, which is interesting because that tells us that people were watching those first few rounds really eager to buy, right? Like they were ready to pounce on whatever looked good, showed up on camera, whoever it was, uh, Joel Lawson, I think kind of trounced somebody and it was like, okay, well, this is it. This is what we're moving in on. And it turned out to be like, "Mm, no, that actually metalwork Colossus wasn't it. But uh, the eagerness of the, of the crowds was, was something in this case, which I think is a story unto itself. Um, but, but I agree that, the, you know, the price will probably settle. doesn't look like it's cut out yet. But keep in mind, this is a card that you don't actually have to ever spend mana on sometimes, you know, in the right build. And uh, magic cards that, that cheat on mana costs are, are busted. Um, so, you know, we, we could easily see this card's heyday come uh, pretty pretty simply. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and, and we also have, you know, a few, several more sets to provide random artifacts. Uh, that don't ne- weren't necessarily tested to play well uh, with the Kaladesh block, so who knows, you know, what pops up along the way that finally puts that deck over the top. Right, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, so next on our list is Safri Eric's daughter. I think I pronounced that right. Uh, this is from Time Spiral. Uh, we're looking. It's both the foils and the non-foils. The foils really moved, but there were like no copies of those. The non-foils went from four to eleven. Uh, for about 175 percent uh safi is a is a very odd creature um let me get the the oracle text for you here um you can sacrifice safi whenever when when target creature is put into your graveyard from play this turn return that card to play (laughs) so if you're a lightning bolt targeted at your creature you sacrifice safi that cre- your other creature dies, comes back to the battlefield, um, sort of uh, like a weird regeneration. Uh, there are some combos with this um, you can set up that allow you to create loops because whatever it is that Safi saves, bring back Safi, and you can get all sorts of triggers. Um, yeah, so th- the card that's setting this all off is Renegade Rallier because it's a three-card yeah. combo with Safi, Eric's daughter, and a sack outlet. So if you have, like, Viscera Seer in play, that gains you infinite enter the battlefield and die triggers. Because with Seer, you scry away uh, to a uh, to a Blood Artist if you don't have one in play and win the next turn. You can it plays very similarly to like the Malira Silvok Outcast Kitchen Finks combo uh, action that used to be present. Because Renegade Rallyer says when ever anything leaves play, you can return a two mana cost permanent from your graveyard to the battlefield. And Safi Eric's daughter says sack it and then return a creature uh, is put into your graveyard from play this turn. So you can go through this whole looping process with a sack, uh, any kind of free sack outlet um, and hence the movement. Okay. Um, I, I've been um, seeing like streamers test various versions of the deck. Uh, Caleb Durward was running a Naya uh, version with like plated geopedes and uh, step links where he was using rallyers to bring back extra fetch triggers. So you, hmm. You put the fetch in play, get the trigger on the links or the geopede, sack it, get the trigger again off the land, um, uh, rallyer, uh, get back uh, another fetch and do it again. That is uh, reasonably deep. Reasonably deep. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I don't know if this is really all that much better than like the whatchamacallit combo. Uh, God, I'm drawing a blank. The two drop Malira combo, but I yeah. guess you can run it alongside of it, right? Did it? Was, I'm sorry. Did you say did his deck have both of them in it? No, he wasn't running any of the like Abzani combo uh, tasticness from like the last you know three to five years worth of Abzan play. This was like um, trying to break um, 
both the Zendikar mechanic, like landfall mechanic, and also using things like Seal of Fire. So he would like shock something with a Seal of Fire and then rally her and bring back the Seal of Fire and shock something again. And he could kill a, like something with a four toughness or kill two <sighs> creatures. Um, that just seems like so much work <laughs> for so little payoff. <laughs> but in any case, I mean, sure. Well, I mean, I was looking- then you can do things like you can flicker with the rallier, right? So, like, you can do there's there are going to be some interesting decks that come out of the the variety of combo centric cards and either revolt. That's for sure. Sure, yeah, 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 definitely a value engine there. I, I can't deny that. Um, I, I was actually looking at Safi about two weeks ago. I pull her up on my phone. Because I was like, oh, you know, for I think it was after seeing Renegade Rally, I was like, I should check that. And the price is already like four or five dollars. It's like, eh, not going to bother for the time being. Don't really care that much. And shoot. So, <laughs> so, but that's okay because should I should I trumpet your big win in the top slot this week? Oh, yeah. It was it was show forty nine, just uh, three short shows ago that you called retract at two dollars and fifty cents, and lo and behold, our top mover of the week is retract. And from Darksteel, moving from $1.75 to 9 for a $7.25 gain. And this is on the back of the Cheerios deck um, that we will talk about uh, a little more in the Cards to Watch segment. Yep. Uh, I was pleased to see that. I was not as pleased to find out I had less copies than I remember having, but I still have some, so I can't complain too much. Um, well, speaking of that, why don't we uh, hop in? I see your first card in segment two, our Cards to Watch, is actually related to that. So you want to tell us what your what you're thinking yeah so cheerios is a deck in modern that's been hanging around for a while on the fringes um basically what you try to do is you uh, play a whole series of zero cast and cost artifacts then you pick them back up and you play them again and again and again um and hopefully you don't fizzle along the way running out of either mana and or cards you need to keep things rolling and the idea was that you had pure steel paladin in play which is the new phyrexia card that uh popped last week um uh, that's a 2-2 two, two for 2. Whenever an equipment enters the battlefield under your control, you draw a card. Um, and so basically the printing of SRAM Senior Edificer uh, in uh, Ether Revolt has now given that deck uh, 8 copies of a redundant effect that it needed instead of the previous 4. Um, and uh, as a result, we're now seeing this deck start to put up results. It's 5 out a couple leagues on Magic Online, and a whole bunch of streamers were testing it today. Um, I invent- pushed some chips in on both Pure Steel and Retract uh, on Magic Online because inventory levels were looking relatively low, and I suspect that we're just about just seeing the tip of the iceberg on interest. Um, it's not clear that this deck is going to be the real deal, um, but I can tell you that having watched uh, a couple of hours uh, worth of streamer coverage while I was uh, doing work this morning, I noticed that, um, you know, sometimes it fizzles like many combo decks do, but the the redundancy of having the eight kind of uh, kickoff cards uh, between Pure Steel and SRAM really does make a big difference. And um, one of the streamers was killing on turn three at 48% consistency. So uh, one of the problems here is that now that we have a double-barreled shotgun worth of uh, banned list uh, instances where five weeks from now, or I guess it's now four weeks uh, from now, um, we get another shot at the banned list, um, we need to be uh, aware that any deck that seems to up t- uh, tilt the apple cart and get and seem too fast for modern will get you know, quickly get the axe. I w- and I would suspect that if I was going to pick a card that would get the axe here, it would be retract, which has little to no value outside of this deck and would basically make it non-functional. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you on that point, that if anything was getting banned, it, it, it would probably be retract just because you don't need it. Um, I also... Uh... It was definitely SRAM that the deck needed to be playable. A second retract wouldn't help because that's never where you got throttled. You got throttled on having the the creature in play so that you could start your combo. You know, if even if you don't have a retract, you can play the paladin, play four or five equipment, draw four or five cards, and if you didn't draw the retract, it's like, okay, you can just pass your turn, draw your connect your card for the next turn, and then go from there, you know. But if you have the retract and no paladins, you're like, well, I guess I'm just gonna watch this guy kill him with Tarmogoyfs. Um I played the deck uh, uh, for for several weeks uh, a while ago, like a year, year and a half ago. It was actually really good. I, I remember I won every single match that my opponent didn't have Lightning Bolt in their deck and lost every match that they did. Makes um, sense. Yeah, we, we, and it really was, it was exactly that. And so now, you know, having two of those copies is so big. And the deck really could kill on turn three so free, really frequently. In turn two, if you were you were a psychopath, you could go for it. Um, 
So I, I do like the deck quite a bit at this point. It's what I'm planning on playing in Vegas, assuming I go, uh, just because it's doesn't it's pretty compact in terms you know i don't have to keep i I, i've been selling some of my modern cards lately but this is a a deck that you know i don't have to feel bad about holding on to any of these cards so uh i like the deck Mm -hmm. go ahead i would say i like the deck i I think it's got a lot of legs and we're gonna hear more about it in uh when it's my turn (laughs) i mean here's the thing is that like there's 24 artifacts that are worth nothing uh, sorry, 20 artifacts that are worth nothing, and then four Mox Opals. So if you happen to play Affinity or you play uh, the Ensnaring Bridge deck, whose name I can never remember for reasons unknown. Uh, I remember it as Barbershop. It also goes by the name of, uh, is it Lantern? Thank right? you, Lantern Control. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to own Mox Opals, uh, and even if it gets reprinted, I don't expect it to fall much. So... You know, opals are a hold anyway. All the lands in this deck are lands you should own if you want to play modern. Um, Pure Steel and, and SRAM are still relatively cheap for modern cards, and all of the spells are all dead cheap. Noxious Revivals, Retracts um, are the most expensive right now. Serum Visions runs a couple of Swan Songs. That's cool. Um, and a Grape Shot. And the sideboard's especially spicy. For Silence, that's uh, an instant that says your opponents can't cast spells this turn. Uh, for one white, echoing truth to just get stuff off the board that's problematic. Four leyline of sanctity uh, against the burn decks mostly, and and against uh, discard spells. Uh, and then two paradoxical outcome, which is the other redundancy they can add into the game plan if they need to, if they're expecting a lot of counter spells, I would imagine. Return any number of target non-land, non-token permanents you control to their owner's hand, and draw a card for each card returned to your hand this way. So that with outcome, you're getting. You're, you're drawing cards for all the equipment you pick up, and you're drawing the cards again when you put them down. Um, that's pretty gross. And then the the one of Favor of the Mighty. I didn't even know this card existed. One in a white. Oh, yeah. I can't figure this one out. Tribal Enchantment Giant. <laughs> Each creature with the highest converted mana cost has protection from all colors. So the idea here, I guess, is you lead off with Favor of the Mighty. They're holding bolts or whatever, or uh, Fatal Push. And... Now, so long as uh, they don't have a creature that's uh, uh, higher casting cost than a two-drop, then they can't target your uh, Pure Steel Paladin or SRAM, right? Uh, I, I mean, when you say it, I guess that's what they were shooting for. It seems crazy to me that you would be expecting your opponent not to have a creature that costs more than two. I, I mean, like, very few decks in Modern fit that definition but i guess you know if control is getting popular online or something like that then i could see that being appropriate um you know because you feel like you feel like you could just put a dispel into that slot and counter the first bolt right Um, yeah this is like investing double that much mana so that you can set set up a couple turns later because this really slows you down in this deck like you're not you're not running that many lands to begin with there are 15 lands (laughs) no i I suppose yeah in the four marks opals i suppose you could look at it and say it, it it's better than a dispel against a removal heavy control deck because it blanks all of their removal, right? Yep. So if yep. they have three pieces of removal in their hand, it's not countering one of them, it's countering all of them. Uh and even if they flash down a snapcaster, doesn't it favor the mighty say any uh all creatures, right? It says each creature with the highest converted mana cost. So say right. the con- so if they flash down a snapcaster, then your paladin is still protected. Still protected. Yeah, that's it just yet. They've got to have like you know, a rallier or, uh, you know, a Tassiger or something in, in play in, in Grixis control. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess a number of, you know, higher monocost creatures, we have three or more. It doesn't count to. It's actually not, I mean, it's not like, it's not like there's like none of those creatures, but they're certainly less common than twos. Twos are really represented in modern. Yeah, I mean, we're spending all this time talking about this. For all we know, the, this guy's already off this card and has moved on. This list is like a week old. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he tried definitely. it. He tried it. Hated it. Moved on. The, the other thing I wonder about this deck is whether they can run Pact of Negation. Um, I intend to run the deck uh, online this week and find out um, whether Pact to just stop anything and everything that they throw at you to try to interrupt you, so that you can gain, uh, you know, get the full use out of the turn that you're intending to go off is is enough. Um, yeah. I, I know Sam Party, I think it was Party, it might have been somebody else commented and they said the deck was, the main deck was really solid, but the sideboard was a mess. So who knows what's going to happen with it. But yeah, I mean, if Sam Blacks looks at it, you can almost be positive that at least one pack of negation will show up. Sure. All right. So uh, yeah, so my point here... <laughs> 
is that SRAM senior ed- edificer foils are still available in the five to six dollar range uh, because the card just came out. Uh, and it's not important in standard right this second, even though there are probably somebody will probably have a SRAM deck in standard at some point along the way here because it's going to just keep, keep in mind that. Uh, even though all of this talk is about SRAM in the context of having artifacts come into play, SRAM actually triggers, uh, triggers, uh, you drawing a card off auras, equipments, or vehicles. So, you know, down the road, we get another enchantment focus set. SRAM could be important all over again. Um, and more to the point, he's got legs in EDH as just a commander himself. Um, and therefore foils are, uh, are going to be, uh, especially valuable. Um, and between that modern demand, casual demand, and the potential to be, to be useful in other decks down the road, um, very confident getting in at the five to $6 range, bought a whole bunch of them the other day. Um, I think the sell target on these is like $20 and I don't think it'll take too long to get there, but I would plan on holding it for say six months to a year and see where we, where we end up. Okay. I mean, that's, that's ambitious. Uh, but I don't, but I don't hate it. It's a, it's a powerful legendary creature and, um, you know, it, we might even see, might even it could see some EDH play too, conceivably. Play that on turn two, and then just start drawing tons of cards. But I mean, if he was a Kaladesh rare as opposed to an either Revolt small set rare, I might feel a little differently. Um, but small set rares have, you know, a better chance. Uh, their foils will be less opened overall than a fo- than a fall set. And it's, you know, we're only a f- few weeks out now from reveals for Modern Masters 2017. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the the pace of set releases still being pretty consistently every couple months, um, you know, there cannot be that many foils in play for SRAM. And even though this set just came out, the foils are not that plentiful online. Nope, you're. I mean, that's that's completely fair. Uh, the the small set factor is definitely definitely very relevant. Um, okay, right. so. so uh, we just spent a bunch of time talking about Cheerios. I want to get back into. Um, Favor the Mighty. Let's let's hammer on that a little bit more. Let's talk about it specifically with Tarmogoyf. <laughs> uh, um, no, my, my, my first pick this week is Seachrome Coast, which has historically not been part of the mono base for this deck. Uh, if you look back at, at past iterations, you didn't really see much of it. Uh, I think that was incorrect. I think this deck is actually supposed to play Seachrome Coast because you're not looking for a long game or or anything you just want to play your lands early get onto the board and and do things and seachrome coast does that for you i know sam's deck played two which is more than again more than we've seen in the past and i suspect um that we are going to see more of them so this comes with a kind of a caveat keep your eyes on the list that people are posting if they're not showing uh if they're not playing lots of Seachrome Coast, then I guess don't worry about it. Um, but I think that we will see that. Uh, well, right now two they're about five dollars. D- yeah, I would say so. They're right now they're like five dollars. Blackleaf Cliffs are like twenty. There's a lot of room for the price to go up on this. Um, so as long if, if the deck moves into Seachrome Coast a little harder, and uh, the deck is good, then Seachrome Coasts are, are definitely going to move because there's only like three cards in the deck that can be worth any money. So there's like 54 results on TCG player. Um, I, I would put that at something like 150 available copies that if they're running two per deck, you need 75 players to hit up TCG to fulfill their needs. Um, they don't already have the lands lying around. That's not an insane number to start draining the supply. There's also the backup plan that ad nauseum tends to run three copies of this, this uh, land and always has. Um, so uh, there is a backup is it- plan. Is it Seacrum Coast or Temple of Enlightenment they run? Because I know they're on oh, Temple of Enlightenment. Uh, it's some mixture of the two, but like the the version that I'm looking at from the SCG Modern Classic Columbus that took first place recently was uh, one Temple of Enlightenment and three Seacrum Coast. Oh, okay. I I, I played Ad Nauseum. Uh, I played it on and off for like two years, but I don't remember the mana base. Um, okay, yeah. So Seacrum Coast, Cheerios. There you go. Uh, what's next for you? Uh, the other card I've had my eye on is Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Inventory starting to drain out of the market. Um, Fate Reforged a couple years back now. Um, buy price, target. You can pick up copies of Ugin around 30. One of the things I like is that the spread between, and not the one between buy list and retail, but the, the spread between the lowest price near mint copies in the market and uh, the price, uh, say, 20 copies out, is about $20. There are there are $50 copies of Ugin posted for sale and $30 copies of Ugin po- posted for sale. And it won't take too many 30s to disappear before it'll be a $40 to $50 card, which will be decent. 
um, if you pick up a place yet. Uh, and if it gets to $50 before it gets reprinted, which is almost certainly going to happen for, say, Modern Masters 2019, um, then you should be able to pick up a nice 25% gain um, for, you know, $15, $20, $25 worth of profit um, and easily trade them out to people that are going to be goggly-eyed at a card they, you know, never got a chance to play with or, you know... Every couple of years it goes by, you're dealing with a whole new crew of brand new players that uh, never got a chance to cast the Fabulous Spirit Dragon. There's also the potential that the card um, shows up in additional decks in Modern, where it is already occasionally played in Tron-type builds. And in Frontier, it's potentially a house if people can figure out the control build that uh, can get out from under the extreme pressure that the aggro uh, decks in that format are offering. Yeah, I do like Ugin. And the one thing I like about this is you look at Ugin, if that a card like that goes from 30 to 50... Um, it just, it's not that large of a percentage of a gain, uh, but it's not inconceivable for the card to move that much. And it's just so easy to sell one or two copies and actually make that money. Whereas, you know, it's like what, 40%, you can see 40% on dollar cards, but your operating costs of like stamps and all that crap are so much higher relative to the cost of the card that it just... Like it's, it feels so much worse to gain forty percent on a two dollar card than a thirty dollar card. So, um, you know, when 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 there's cards like this, even though the buy-in's kind of pricey, if you feel really safe about it, um, you can really, you can only you can buy a couple copies and make more money than the hundred copies of the bulk rare you bought that jumped to two dollars because it's just easier to sell them. Yeah, exactly. If you if you can handle four cards over the course of a year, um, the out lay from your paypal account is 120 dollars, and within the year you get 200 dollars back that's as good as good as of an investment as you're going to get anywhere um for you know very minimal uh, uh marginal cost in terms of your time and, and attention to if you're already regularly shipping packages that's exactly the sweet spot you want to be in yeah now yeah. just imagine if you bought like 100 ugans there you go you buy a car <laughs> Yeah, it's not a bad idea if it actually were if you can marshal the resources and and blitzkrieg the inventory, then you might have a chance. The yeah. uh, so side note, I, I have two tangential things. A, I realized that Ugin the Spirit Dragon can be uh, brought back off of Haven of the Spirit Dragon, which I run in Jeskai Dragons, uh, which I ran to a three one run at Frontier last night. Um, but that's not the 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 most fun I had last night. The the thing that really 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 sold me on the format for like the twelfth time. Um, was that somebody proudly placed a walking ballista in play with a winding constrictor and a hardened scales on the board and some other shenanigans going on with like metallic mimic or whatever. And their ballista had eight counters on it. Uh, and I had a Thunderbreak region in play that was going to kill them uh, in a turn or two. So the guy, the guy's at 12 life and he, he take, sweeps some counters off his ballista and goes, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Okay, 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 okay. You're dead. <laughs> and he's like, "Wait, what?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's three life loss per per target there." Oh, uh, that's I, that's the one creature you do not want to be targeting with ballista one at a time. Man, I would have like, I would have been in such a sour mood. I would have just picked up my cards, went home, and like, nope, done, not not hanging out with my friends tonight, not going to get dinner. I cannot tolerate this. <laughs> It, 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 it is savage sweet moments like that uh and the insane hardened scales battles i saw all up and down tables last night with all sorts of cool little new uh interactions that have popped out of the woodwork with other revolt that have me guaranteed to show up on wednesday nights for frontier at face-to-face games where there is a very lively metagame brewing well at the very least it sounds uh amusing well, and Channel Fireball announced that they are uh, they have uh, weekend tournaments starting to run for Frontier starting this weekend, I believe. Wow. So All right. things are moving along. All right. Well, let me get into uh, to my next pick this week. That is uh, Panharmonicon. I'm looking... Boy, this heater in this office turns on exactly when it's my turn to talk. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, it was not on for the entire time James was talking about Ugin. Um Panharmonicon, it is, uh, it's that artifact that doubles all the end of the battlefield. The fact it's really cool, does cool stuff. Foils are back down around eight, nine, ten dollars right now. Um, these had jumped up to like 19 a couple weeks ago. I think it was right before, or I guess it wasn't a couple weeks, a couple months. It was right before Pro Tour Kaladesh. People thought that the deck, uh, there might be Panharmonicon deck at the Pro Tour. I think Saffron Allah had put out a, a video on it like two weeks prior. So, 
but but again, the foils have dropped back down to ten. I think this is a home run. Um, it's a phenomenal card. It's awesome in EDH. It does really cool things. Uh, it's just it's just a a great EDH card. And they could print this a hundred times, but they're not going to print foils very often, which makes the foil so much safer. And the non foils are already like four or five dollars. You know that foil the non foil gap is is reasonably narrow on such a such a cool card. Um, I, I just see this as as kind of the next doubling season. So. Uh, this is this is a foil I would be uh, I'd be happy to be grabbing at below ten dollars right now because I think you're I think there's no way this could be less than twenty. I fully <clears throat> agree and have agreed since the moment it came into play. I've loved ETB triggers since the early days of Magic and in the heyday of like Urza's block. Um, I was playing like Grixis uh, control stuff um, with. Uh, uh, all sorts of like blue black creatures that were coming in and out of play um, and doing nasty, nasty things to people. And we went through a real dry spell uh, for a few blocks where we didn't have a lot of ETB triggers at all. Um, So I think a lot of people have kind of slept on, you know, how powerful those are um, and how getting basically two for one cards, we get a kind of overcosted creature, but you get a spell like ability tacked on Um uh, how good that's going to be long term in general, because creatures with ETBs are just straight up better than most creatures in in most cases, um, and how Panharmonicon like defines open ended synergy. Like every time they print an ETB trigger or some new combo piece that enables the recursion of said triggers, um, Panharmonicon gets better and better and better in EDH. And yes, it's a fall set rare, but um, the foils are going to be in a lot in a pretty high demand. I picked up Japanese foils, if you can believe it, from Tokyo MTG like. October 17th for 10 bucks each. And I've been turning down offers in the seventies uh, on eBay for play sets. So th- that represents my, my commitment that I know, <laughs> I believe Japanese foil pan harmonicons are going to be, you know, 40 or $50 down the road. So I'm not in any rush to sell. Um, and I think these are a steal at 10 bucks. I guarantee you that Travis is right. They're going to top 20 at some point, you know, sooner or later. Um, and the inventory is really not that deep. Like, uh, Foils right now, 55 results on uh, TCG. Um, doesn't take too long down the road before you're talking about $15 cards instead of $10 cards. And uh, yeah, I mean, especially if you've got a bunch of EDH decks that want them anyway. Run them, double sleeve them, pull them out later when they're 30 bucks, and trade into stuff you need. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. Okay. Did you have something else you want to talk about uh, for Cards Watch this week? Just a final pick for MTGO, one of the plays when there's a new set going on. Um, people will take a lot of booster packs for Kaladesh that they have won along the way, and they will trade them into bots so that they can get tickets, so that they can play all the sweet uh, Ether Revolt uh, drafts uh, that are going on during release week. And the buy price is probably going to get down into the, like... Hard to say what the floor is, but could be anywhere between 1.6 and 1.85 on Kaladesh boosters. And I would expect that within a week or two, they will probably rebound into the 2.2 to 2.4 range, which is not like a huge percentage gain. It's like 20 to 30 percent if you do it right and and time it right. Uh, Relatively modest, but it's a good way to fund a couple of drafts um, if you just pick up, you know, a hundred packs or so and then and then cash them out a little later. um, You're going to be, you know, that many more tickets ahead of the game. Sure. I think that's uh, that's a very fair little moto investment strategy. Um, I feel like they made some announcement recently or they were going to make some announcement. Am I misremembering that? About? About moto. Wasn't there some? Oh, they, they made that announcement a couple Mondays ago, right? Like they were talking about Magic Next and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, I expect we're going to get further information about that in 2017, about what that platform is going to be all about. Um and and that has definitely triggered a round of selling. I mean, I have almost 10,000 tickets worth of Magic Online cards under investment, both my own and for other people. And uh, I have started to cash out positions that were, you know, even if they were only modestly, um, you know, doing modestly well and had potential for further upside. Um, if I thought that the upside wasn't, you know, virtually guaranteed, I've been starting to turn them into tickets uh, on the off chance that I, I, I need to liquidate those positions in a hurry because um, I I don't believe that they're going to fully strand MTGO uh, players and I don't believe those collections are going to go to zero right away. But they could easily execute a strangle strategy where they just make the new – they don't connect the two platforms. They make the new platform 
They run both for a while, but the new platform is so much better that people just naturally migrate over, triggering a fire sale on MCGO prices, which eventually tanks the system and then gives them an excuse to shut it off. Um, there's, there's another version of events where, as we said before, they could uh, fully support the transfer of collections, which I think is the ideal. Um, but <laughs> Magic Online players have been screwed over so many times. I mean, they had to wait 10 years to get leagues back the last time they turned them off, literally a decade. So, um, you know, I wouldn't hold my breath for them to get this exactly right. And if you have a really vast Magic Online collection, you might want to take stock of what you're not actually playing with and start to turn it into something liquid. So that's a long time. Um, Okay, let's uh, let's look at the uh, SCG Columbus this weekend. Um, so over on the standard side, the top three was all green black. Uh, I've seen it listed as uh, sometimes you'll see it listed all three as delirium. Uh, a better way to describe it is, is the first place was delirium, second and third were um, aggro, green black aggro. Then we had green white tokens, uh, in also in the third and fourth slot, uh, we had two decks that these are being listed as. Four color, co- oh, copycat for Sahili Rai. Oh, that makes more sense. Okay. The Sahili Rai combo uh, took um, fifth, sixth, and seventh, seventh in uh, four color or just sky. And then the top eight was rounded out by a vehicle deck. So pretty healthy top eight, I think, aside from Green Black's powerful showing. Um, I actually had a couple buddies. My, I, I know the guy who took third with the Green Black aggro, and our other friends all placed like in the top 64 that played at the conversion rate on that deck was insane. Um, so that was really powerful. Again, we saw we saw Verter's Gearhawk move pretty dramatically as a as a uh, as a result of that. Um, Rich Car had already started to budge upwards, um, and the prices continued to climb. Uh, so the, so that that clearly has done a lot. Um, what else uh, here has jumped out at you in this top in this top eight and the top sixty four really? Well, I mean, Brennan DeCandio in first place with his black green delirium. This guy came loaded for bear. I mean, if if you just like power like whack-a-mole powerhouse cars that are just gonna put threats on the table answer things and just drive it home this is the deck for you he's got four verters gear hulk overhand power hammer four walking ballista might be the card of the season four grim flare <laughs> a, 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 a modern playable two drop mind rack demon a card that was really only held back by uh reflector mage and emrakul um Tireless Tracker, Powerhouse all season. Winding Constrictor, utterly busted once counters are hitting the battlefield with regularity. And then, of course, Rishkar Pima Renegade, which is turning things into Elanor Elves while it distribute, distributes double counters on the back of Constrictor. Killer creature base. On the spell side, two Fatal Push, you know, the hottest new card in the world. Um, four Grasp of Darkness, excellent at answering one fours. A To the Slaughter. Must feel nice when you kill the cat and Sahili at the same time, right? Uh, (laughs) that was on camera i think or or it might not have been sahili and the cat but it was sahili it was a planeswalker it was a planeswalker and a creature and yes it looked pretty savage and and still some of the best art of the year and a gorgeous foil to the slaughter um as with the demon grabbing the lamb and the ray of sunshine right and uh two ruinous path you know the poor man's hero's downfall that you you need to play with uh and three traverse the uvenwald i mean a very very uh consistent um you know unforgiving deck right that that's placing that's dealing with your threats and then placing a threat you've got to deal with and 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 keeping that rolling all the way through yeah i I agree with you by the way on the point about walking ballista i kind of glazed over that at first but that's definitely i think part of the season is is a fair way to describe that um i wonder if we're going to see the the green white token deck kind of merge with green black and end up with some sort of abzan build uh you know those four color decks Apparently we're apparently we're in a format where four color is pretty easy to do. Um, I don't know. It looks like that relies pr- kind of heavily on uh, like survey of the conduit and those types of effects. So maybe not, but I, you know, an Abzan version, we could see the basically see Gideon and God, is there even anything else in here? That's white that you care about. Uh, I mean, authority, authority, of the consoles isn't really that relevant. Yeah. I feel like the white is basically just Gideon. So I feel like they're just going to shove getting allies on a car in the green blacklist and, and call it a day. Um, yeah, so I mean, Mind Rack Demon as a four of in the green black deck uh, still hasn't seen a ton of motion. Uh, you can get Mind Rack Demons at two bucks. It was it was uh, part of the Blessed versus Cursed uh, dual deck, so there's that drag on the card. But it is a mythic, 
Um, so uh, if this deck keeps doing well and this becomes a must-have four of and that lasts for a while, then this could be a you know six to eight dollar card. For sure, for sure. Um, the yeah, I wanted to point out too. Othanissa is all over the place. Like it's uh, a four of in the green white tokens deck. It's also in the four color copycat deck. Um, yeah, so I mean the beauty the beauty of that card in copycat, of course, is that you can go get Sahili or the cat. Because yeah, it, 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 it may reveal a creature, land, or planeswalker in the top three. It is uh, it is definitely something else. Um, I think that Oath of Nyssa has been very quiet lately, uh, but it's still like two bucks. So we could really see that start to move if it turns out that, you know, two of the top four decks in the format are all playing playsets of Oath of Nyssa. That could creep up to $6 and, and you wouldn't even notice it. Um, so I'm keeping a close eye on that one. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I have the wrong copies of that because I have about 20 foil Othanesis that I picked up in the 4 to $5 range, but that's about where they still are today. Um, and I think, you know, for, if you believe it's really only going to take off in standard anytime soon um, and that it's not going to be the green ponder and modern, um, then you should really be in the non-foils, not the foils. Um, although I think the foils have some long-term EDH benefit um, because of how open-ended the, the effect is and how rare it is in green to have that kind of card selection. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you long term. It it looks good in modern too. Well, it's also if you're playing the planeswalker version of the Atraxa build, then fixing all your plane, making all your planeswalker spells colorless is obviously attractive. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, I mean, and that's the great thing here with Sahili, right? Is that in a four color deck, with, and you need blue and red for Sahili. If you Othanisa, you can go find the piece you're missing, and you don't have to worry about its color requirements. <laughs> yeah that, that that second line that you know or the, i guess the first line second line second line of uh of your cards being you know re, your planeswalkers costing any color mana is uh is very useful i was actually trying to make that work back when i was playing this in modern in the um nykthos deck i was like oh i wonder if i should shove a a uh a nickel bolus in here just for the heck of it uh because i can and uh i don't know could, it opens up the door to some interesting line to play in the format but uh um okay was there anything else on standard you want to look at we can jump over to modern otherwise uh i shout out to daniel fournier uh from our local face-to-face games chapter uh who finished seventh at the open uh running uh jeskai sahili um, he was running the three-color version of the deck, much more control-oriented, anticipates, dis- disallows, uh, Glimmer of Genius, Harness Lightning, Negate, Revolutionary Rebuff, Shock, Oath. So it's like a counter-burn deck that has a combo. Um, yeah. yeah and, and really has a very different feel to it than the four-color version, um, which was more about uh, grinding people out on value. I mean, the four-color version runs a, a host of uncommon creatures for value. Two Cloud ba- Blazers, the, the of course, necessary Felidar Guardians, Rogue Refiner, the uh, three two for three that gives you a card and two energy when it comes into play, um, feels like it could mm-hmm. be a role player role player in a number of different shells as the as the season continues. They they ran Shielded Aether Thief, the uh, the <clears throat> the late only the latest in a long line of cards that I considered draft uh, fodder that uh, or draft chaff that I would never even deign to bring home in my binder. Um, this is the zero four flash Bedelkin rogue for one and a blue. Whenever it blocks, you get an energy and you pay three energy to draw a card. Um, I did not think that was going to see standard play. Yeah, some of these uncommons really surprise you. Uh, did you notice the uh, the line, by the way, of um, this is not in Fournier's deck, but the line of play Oath of Nissa, draw a fell at our guardian, then use the felder guardian to bounce the oath of nissa to look for the secret drive <laughs> oh yeah that's that's the sweetness i have to imagine like the guys who played that deck like they probably put oath of nissa in for like the color fixing and the cycling or whatever and they're like partway through one of their testing games and like he casts a felder guardian into kind of a, like a board with just oath of, N- oath of nissa and he's like oh i guess i can do that can i Hey, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those completely incidental, like, oh, this is also very useful for that effect. Uh, so so yeah. one of the side notes is that there was only uh, a handful of Gideons in the top eight. There was four in the fourth place deck and the green-white tokens deck. And, that you know, we could see a lot of green-white tokens moving forward. The deck still looks pretty strong. Um, and there was two in the Mardu vehicles deck. But, you know, Gideon rotates in the fall. Uh there's no guarantee he stays at the sweet spot in the meta. He's always going to be strong. You'll probably see some copies in every top eight from here on out. 
Um, but it's not going to be, you know, the, uh, like we saw three months ago where we were seeing, you know, blue white decks, uh, and decks running, you know, we, I think we had the pro tour, if I'm not mistaken, we had, uh, nearly the full complement of Gideons in the top eight. If it wasn't that, it was either 60 or 70, it was 60 to 70% plus for sure. Um, and at another major tournament, pretty much the same thing back to back. Um, and now he's, you know, definitely on the decline. He's had his price spike online. He's had his price, price spike on paper. Most people that need copies have copies, um, moving forward. Uh, as each new set comes out, there's less and less chance that people are, are going to dig into their back pocket as uh, rotation approaches. So I think that card is a sell at this point, for sure. Yeah, I, I think the point about everyone who needs them has them is probably the most salient here. You know, who's who who's going out there to buy Gideons that didn't already have them? That's got to be a pretty small number uh, at this point. Um Over on the modern side, nothing too wild. We saw Eldrazi show up in the... Uh, Sort of the six loss in the semis, the quarters, semis, loss in the semis, but still top eighted. Um, you know, the, the, the displacers, uh, reshapers, drowner hopes, reality smashers, thought not seers, all that good stuff. Uh, we saw some Grixis Delver. We saw the Gorios combo that is just waiting to be banned one of these days. Uh, we did see also the, uh, the Safi and, uh, Renegade Rallyer combo came in second in that Abzan list. And that one used, Looked like it had all both combos in, in it, actually. Uh, Dermal Jupiter had Anafenza, um, Viserysir, Malira, uh, Safi, Renegade Rally. Yeah, he just had, basically had both halves of it. So uh, just a lot of redundancy, I, I suppose. Right. Um, so so here's the deck that we alluded to earlier um, that was right under our noses during our research. Uh, and lo and behold, it has both combos. So. Uh, and also for Court of Calling and for Collected Company, both cards I'm heavily invested in. So happy to see that doing well. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, any other thoughts on Modern here, James? Uh, I think it's not on Modern per se, but it's worth pointing out that Ether Revolt uh, and uh, Walking Ballista, the, the only mythic that looks like it has a chance of holding a higher price tag than Ballista is Heart of Kirin. Um, and a couple of decks ran fours, but I'm not convinced that card can hold that price tag, um, given its, uh, total play pattern. And on that basis, Walking Ballista can hold a higher price tag than it normally would. Um, especially if Tezzeret the Schemer and Herald of Anguish, uh, along with Ajani Unyielding and Paradox Engine continue to fall as the only mythics over, over $5. Um, I, I think that, uh, as I detailed in my Digging for Dollars article that was published in the last week, um, where I was looking for, you know, the, the long-range specs for the set, um, I think a lot of the, the, the best long-term prospects of, the, of this set are going to, are just now starting to, to their long downhill roller coaster towards, uh, their minimum cost. And uh, a couple months out, check back in and see how many of these cool combo pieces, um, have gotten to a sweet spot. And understand what that can do potentially to walking ballista if it is in fact a four of across multiple archetypes, archetypes in standard and or it shows, starts showing up in modern, uh, in some kind of weird combo brew, then, you know, that card could be a $20 card for a while. Yeah, I, I think that's completely reasonable. You know, if, uh, whatchamacallit, that one card, uh, smuggler's copter card. can manage it. Oh yeah, smugglers. Smuggler's yeah, copter smugglers. can manage it. And hanger back Walker before that, right? Um, yeah. And I think that Walker is a better comparable because it was a small set, uh, not a full set like uh, Copter. And Copter was, you know, crazy dominant. It's not clear that Walking Bliss is going to be that dominant, um, but it certainly has put, has a big foot forward in that direction. Um, and because it could potentially be played all the way back to Vintage um, uh, as a replacement for things like uh, Triskelion, uh, as we mentioned before... Um, the, the overall EV of the set um, seems to support it, despite the fact that there are uh, masterpieces involved again. Um, a lot of the masterpieces have fallen in price a lot faster than they did for Kaladesh, I think because dealers are starting to understand what the sweet points are for the various kind of subcategories of cards, the ones that are kind of like niche role players and legacy and vintage, the ones that are EDH specific, the ones that are modern playable, and, you know... Uh, they seem to be figuring out those price tiers even faster this time. Um, and uh, that seems to be pushing the prices down overall for the inventions faster, which will also help the best cards in the set that are seeing the most play hold a higher price tag. Mm-hmm. 
Ooh, pardon me. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap this up. It's been been a while, and I'm getting I'm getting tired. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, James, where can our uh, our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. And again, I'm Travis Allen. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price. I do the uh, webcast Cartel Aristocrats usually on Mondays. And if you like playing magic, make sure to check out scry.land to find magic events in your area. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of our one-year anniversary episode. Uh, It's been a great year. I've had a lot of fun. Looking forward to at least... Maybe a couple more months. <laughs> as long as magic cards are worth, as long as magic cards are worth money, we'll have something to talk about. Uh, so thanks for joining me this week again. Thanks, Travis, for uh, all fifty-two weeks are wonderful, and we'll see you guys next well, week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Well, I, you know, I hate to ruin your send off, but it's not fifty-two weeks for me because uh, you had Cliff here for a couple, a couple of them. <laughs> Fair I was enough. On vacation, <laughs> but, yeah, I, but you know. I missed a couple too, but there was 52 episodes of which we control, so. Sure, okay, I'll take it. All right. (laughs) Take care. We'll see you next week.